prayer this morning, Hannah's prayer, First Samuel, First Samuel two, one through ten. Let me give you a little context before we get into it. There's this gal named Hannah. If you haven't heard this story, and Hannah is married to a man named Elkanah, and Elkanah has two wives. God doesn't give any commentary on his thoughts on that in the moment here, um, but he has, she has, he has two wives, okay? Um, and one of them has lots of babies. Uh, uh, Paniah is her name. Paniah has many, many children. But Hannah is barren. And in that day and in that age, barrenness was... Uh, almost seen as a curse on someone. And this has been shared within our congregation, that there are those who are young couples who uh, who want babies, who cannot have babies, uh, who are struggling with this. Many of you have gone through this. Many of you uh, have experienced miscarriage and uh, moments uh, of great hardship in this, just like Hannah. And isn't it true that we live in a world where there's Paniahs who everything seems to be going good, and then there's Hannahs where everything seems to be falling apart. Can you Can you hear that? Yeah? Okay. So Hannah prays to God and begs God for a son. And God, in his graciousness, as Brad talked about this morning, gives her a son. And she names him Samuel, which means God has heard me, right? And so um, shortly after, Hannah is given this beautiful son, Samuel, that she's prayed for for so many years. She goes back to the temple and she prays this prayer in response to God finally answering her prayer for a child. 1 Samuel 2, 1, and we'll go through 11. Then Hannah prayed and said, or better it would be translated, sang. She sang this. She prayed and sang. My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak so of such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows. It's God who knows. And by him deeds are weighed. The bow of or the bows of the warriors are broken. But those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food. But those who were hungry hunger no more. She who was barren has borne seven children. She actually didn't bear seven. Uh, she actually bore five kids after Samuel. Anyway, side note. She who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. Upon them He has set the world. He will guard the feet of His saints, but the wicked will be silenced in darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord, they will be shattered. He will thunder against them from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah, Samuel's father, went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli, the priest. So as far as we'll go this morning, there's an outline in your bulletin if you want to follow 
along. Have you ever had a moment when life seemed out of control? You ever had a moment where just just seemed like things weren't going right, that you just you just couldn't figure out a problem, something you'd come up against was just too big for you, that um, well, you had children and you couldn't control them. I'm, I know a guy, um, uh, right? Have you ever come up in a moment in your life where you thought, man, I, I'm just not in control right now. I'm not in charge and, and all my best efforts just don't seem to be producing what I want them to produce. Have you ever been in a moment like that? I think we've all been in a moment like that. And I think we can learn from Hannah this morning this. When life seems out of control... Prayer redirects us to the one who is in charge. When life seems to be out of control, prayer, I believe, redirects us to the one who is actually in charge. Because if I said, have you ever felt out of control? And there was a few in the room who said, no, I'm always under control. I would say, you're a liar. You're a liar. You know, even if you've had a pretty controlled life, a pretty calculated life, you know that one bad business deal that you didn't see coming, it can ruin your business, right? You know that this afternoon, if some cell in your body goes haywire, you might end up at the doctor and you might end up with a phone call that says you've got six months to live. See, us saying that we're in control is a facade. And so prayer redirects us to the one who's in charge. And Hannah does this. Hannah comes against this moment where she desperately wants a child. It's a good request. A lot of our prayer requests are good requests, right? We want somebody to get healthy. We want somebody to have a baby. We want peace in our world, right? We don't want people to get stabbed. I mean, these are great prayer requests. But but do they always happen? Don't, right? And so what do we do in these moments? Hannah was in that moment where she knew, I'm not in charge. Nothing's working. I cannot have a child. I've been praying and praying and praying, and nothing seems to be happening. She's in that moment, and God finally gives her this child that she's been praying for. And what you would expect out of her prayer, what you would expect is, thanks God for giving me what I wanted, right? That's how our prayers usually go, correct? So we ask and ask and ask. We say, this is out of control. This isn't good in my life. This isn't good in somebody else's life. Can you heal this person? And then if they do, what we usually say is, thanks God, you're awesome. You gave me exactly what I wanted. That's how our prayer goes. And that's not how Hannah's prayer goes. Notice this. It's not how Hannah's prayer goes. She finally, after all this time... After all this begging and asking God for a child, she gets this child, and yet her prayer reveals something very differently. It reveals this. Hannah's prayer reveals her deep confidence in God's sovereignty. That's what I want to talk about this morning. God's sovereignty. God being in charge. So I I didn't use the word uh, in control, although God is in control, but I did use the word in charge because we want to sort of pick apart Hannah's prayer and try to figure out what does this big idea of God being sovereign mean? 
And here's, here's some of what it means. When we talk about sovereignty, the picture we should have in our head is of a king or a queen in a kingdom, right? That they are sovereign over everything. That they're in charge. That they're the ruler. That they're the king. They're the sovereign one. And one of the great thoughts and, and beliefs, not thoughts, one of the great beliefs in Christianity is that God is in charge, or big word for that is God is sovereign. And so we want to unpack that with our time together throughout Hannah's prayer by looking at um, five areas that God is sovereign over, where he rules over. Number one, God is sovereign over all other gods. She begins her prayer by saying, there is no one holy like the Lord. There's no one holy like the Lord. Have you learned this prayer? God is great. God is going good. Let us thank Him for our food. Amen, right? By His hand we must be fed. Thanks God for our daily bread. Maybe some of you were going there, right? Okay. In our house, it's the shark prayer. Okay, you can tease this to kids. God is great. God is good. It's just theme. Let us thank Him for our food. Amen. Okay, that's how we roll in the Van Epps house. Okay? So... We have the Superman prayer, but I'm not going to do that one for you, okay? You can just use your imagination. So God is sovereign over all. It gets back to this idea that God is great and God is good. He's above all other gods. And the word that we use for that is holy. I'm borrowing a lot of thought here from the late R.C. Sproul, who had a very high view of the holiness of God. See, God is great and God is good. In fact, he's, he's not just great, he's the greatest. And he's not just good, he's the goodest. I know that's not good grammar, okay? But he's not just great, he's not just good, he's the goodest and the greatest. He is pure. He is faultless. He, he never misses the mark. We talked about this this week, last week. We miss the mark. God never misses the mark. And so Hannah says, doesn't say, thanks God for the baby. She says, there is nobody like you, God. That's how she starts her prayer. There's no one like you, God. There's no one holy like you, God. And we live in a world with lots of gods. And you might say, no, we don't. We, you know, we, we live in America and we don't, there's not a bunch of, we're not going to go home this afternoon and you have this little statue, you don't bow down to it. I get that. I get that. But have you ever been to a football stadium? You ever been to one of those? See, I like the Broncos. I like the Broncos. All right. And I've been to quite a few games. I used to live in Denver. 76,000 people, right? Cheering at the same time, singing like theme songs at the same time for the Broncos, right? Everybody knows when to sit, when to stand. It's like a big old church service, right? Guys who don't like to sing or cheer or clap in church suddenly have no problem cheering or clapping or yelling for their team, correct? Right? I mean, you can see them on Sunday morning and they're like this. And then you can see them on Sunday afternoon and they're like, woo! Right? Faces painted the whole deal, right? <laughs> or open up your wallet. That says in God we trust, but <laughs> that stuff that's green, we really, ah, we trust that a little bit more, don't we? See, we are idol factories. 
John Calvin would say. We are, our hearts are idol factories. And, and we just, we just make up gods over and over and over and over again. And there's no God like the one God. And there's no one holy like the one God. And our hearts, Augustine would say, are going to be restless until they rest in the one true God. See, you can spend your whole life searching for God, searching for what is holy, searching what is good and what is great, and you will only find it in the one true God. God is sovereign over all gods. Even if you put other gods above him, he is sovereign over all those gods. He is holy. So he's sovereign over all other gods. He's sovereign over all activity. She goes on. Do not let your heart talk so, or do not let, do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows. The Lord is a God who knows. He is sovereign over all activity. All activity. And this should kind of, it makes me a little nervous, right? That God knows the words that are going to come out of my mouth before they come out of my mouth. That God knows every action in my life. That God knows the intent behind my action. Right? He knows if I'm actually acting selflessly, but secretly I'm doing it selfishly. Right? He knows my thoughts. Can we say that's a scary thought? Right? Like God knows my thoughts. What's going on in my head. What nobody else knows, God knows. The word here, big word is omniscient, which means all knowing, all of knowledge. He knows all that is going on. He's not limited in any way, shape, or form. See, you and I were finite. We get 75 years plus or minus. That's what we get, right? That's what we get. And you're right, Brad. Eternity starts today. But guess what? God's always been here. And He's always going to be. He has no limitations. He is not finite, right? He is infinite. And He knows all things. He knows all activity. So He's sovereign over all of the gods. He's sovereign over all activity. He's sovereign over all people. She goes on. She says, the bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armored with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry hunger no more. She who is barren has borne seven children, and she who has many sons pines away. I'm going to drop down. Um, the Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. He raises the poor from the dust, lifts the needy from the ashes and uh, the ash heap. So He is uh, also... Sovereign over all people. He's sovereign over all other gods. He's sovereign over all activity. And he is sovereign over all people. Notice the phrases in here. He's sovereign over those who are full. Right? If you got a belly full, he is sovereign over you. And he has allowed your belly to be full. If you are hungry, he is sovereign over you. And there might be a reason that you're going through the hunger that you're going through. He is sovereign over the barren. He is sovereign over those who have many sons. He's sovereign over the humble. He's sovereign over um, poverty and wealth. Right? He's sovereign over any situation that you're in. He's sovereign over all people. Which means, is He sovereign over those with huge mansions in the YC? Yup. He is. 
Is he sovereign over us little guys in Ramshorn? Absolutely, right? Is he sovereign over those who are strong? Yes. Is he sovereign over those who are weak? Yes. Is he sovereign uh, over the most powerful country in the world? Yes. Is he sovereign over the poorest country in the world? Yes. He is sovereign over every single person in every single situation. He is over all people. No matter what your circumstance, He is over you. He is above you. He is in charge. So He is sovereign over all other gods, all activity, all people, all life and death. She goes on, verse 6, The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and He raises up. Every breath is a gift. This is one of those areas that uh, we can argue about, you know, what does sovereignty look like for um, different classes of people or different people in different circumstances? Or is is he sovereign um, when you're just not listening to him at all? We can have these interesting conversations. But man, when it comes to life and death, can we just admit that he is sovereign over that? Anybody, raise your hand if you know when you're going to die in this room. Anybody? You got, you're like, ah, uh, you know, I think next week on Wednesday at 7. I hope not, right? But, right? We don't know that. We don't know that, do we? We have no idea when that is going to happen to us. I, I, I think it's really interesting, even, um, I don't want to get too political here, but, um, uh, you know, I grew up in Colorado, and now uh, there's a pill that you can get if you have, um, if, if you have uh, uh, um, something that's going to kill you, you have um, uh, a disease or, or something that you're not going to be able to survive, and you can, you can get that pill, just prescribed from your doctor, and you can decide when the hour is that you're going to die. And so some would say, well, see, we are in control. And I would say, did you know that when you came out of your mother's womb? Did they know that? Did, did did they did did they form themselves in their mother's womb? Did they know that? See, I think this is fantastic for us to look at to take a humble stance and understand how finite we are and how infinite God is, how powerful he is and how out of control we truly are. And it should leave us in awe. He is sovereign over all other gods, all activity, all people, all life and death. And all creation. Verse eight, for the foundation of the earth, foundations of the earth are the Lord's upon them. He has set the world. I think this is uh, one that I, I find the most troubling in our day and age. He is sovereign over all creation, meaning there is a creator and there is creation. Okay. Um, and I've been dwelling in Romans 1 a lot. I don't know why, but God just keeps bringing me back to this. But in Romans 1, it talks about kind of the culture that the Romans lived in, which I think is very, very close to what we live in. And, and what, what, what Paul talks about in that passage is that um, humanity exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped creation rather than the creator. And in particular, I just want to lean in on us a, a little bit this morning because, um, you know what? I am inspired when I go fish the river. I am. I'm inspired, man. I love it. 
I'm inspired when I stand up on top of that peak. I'm inspired by that, right? That's amazing. On a day, well, it's not quite clear enough, but if you go up there, anybody been up there and seen the Tetons? You can go up there and see the Tetons on a clear day, right? That's pretty amazing. But you know what? God is not that mountain. And I think sometimes we get that confused. And God is not the tree or the river or that beautiful grizzly bear that you saw in Yellowstone Park, okay? He's not there. He is the creator of all things. Yes, His Spirit is, is in nature. It's, it's in us. It's, it's around us, always with us. But God is the creator, not the creation. This is called um, pantheism. Right? It's not new. Paul dealt with it. People dealt with it a long time ago. That we would, we would worship creation rather than the creator. And if you think that mountain's pretty impressive, then you should think about how big God is. Right? And then you should be really impressed. If you look up at the stars and you think the stars are pretty impressive, you should think about the one who made the stars and think that's a little more impressive. Right? If you think about this thought, my son and I are reading this devotional, the science, he got this science devotional, just, he loves science, and I do too, and we're kind of nerdy about this, and, and so we nerd out at night and do this science devotional, and we were talking about the ever-expanding universe, that, that, that scientists keep getting bigger telescopes, and they keep seeing further and further into space, and it's just like, scientists keep saying like, there's no end to it. Like, it just keeps, like, going and, and going and going. Do, do you know what's more impressive than that? The one who made it. Right? So God is sovereign over all other gods. He's sovereign over all activity. He's sovereign over all peoples. He's sovereign over all life and death. He's sovereign over all creation. And because Hannah knows this, Hannah's prayer is all about this. She has one line in the whole thing about a barren woman bearing seven children. She doesn't say, hey, thanks for the kid. She doesn't say that. And this is what we can learn from this prayer. Hannah's heart of her prayer is all about how incredible God is. And oftentimes we minimize prayer to make it about us. And here would be the challenge today. Make prayer about somebody bigger. Make your prayers about the God who is over it all. See, a lot of times we say, God, if you just get in line with my will, then we're all going to be okay here, right? If you just give me what I want, then we're going to be okay here. And then we pull the jackpot Jesus, and we hope that he goes ding, 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 and gives us what we want, right? And I would challenge us, as I look at Hannah's prayer, to say, listen, you will never understand the depth of prayer until you begin to understand that prayer is not about you. Prayer is about God. And it's not important for God to get in line with your will. It's much more important for you to get in line with God's will. And see, Hannah does that. And because she does, her prayer opens the door to a beautiful response. You cannot miss this. But the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. You would say, what, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, what happened here? So Hannah, let me get this right, Hannah. 
You pray for years and years and years for a baby, and then you get a baby, and then you bring him to the temple, and you say, here you go. That, that's what you do? After all that prayer, after, after all that time, you know, weeping and mourning and crying out to God, you finally get what you want and you don't hang on to it, you give it back to the God? How crazy is that, right? How crazy is that? This is not what we do, right? I'm not there yet in my life. I was talking to Brad about this this morning. I want to be there so bad. I pray someday that I get there, but man, if I pray and pray and pray that I get what I want, most often I go, thanks God, let me hang on to this though, right? What I don't often do is say, you know, it was yours anyway. So I'm going to offer it back to you. In the same way that you offered it to me, I'm going to offer it back to you. Do you get how crazy this is? Because Hannah knows that God is in charge, because Hannah knows that God is in control, she offers back to God what she has been given. She offers Him something beautiful. And I want our prayers to be like that, church. I want our prayers to understand who's in charge. And I'll I'll be honest with you, that's hard. Right? We don't have enough time. I have not unpacked sovereignty enough for us. We could, we could do this for a whole semester at seminary, okay? But, um, but I want us to recognize that God's in charge. Is God in charge when you get the call from uh, the doctor that says you have cancer? Yeah. He's in charge. Is God in charge when you're going through infertility? Yes, God's in charge. Is God in charge when that financial deal falls apart? Yes, God's in charge. Is God in charge on the mountaintop and in the valley? Yes, God's in charge. And I just want us to embrace this as much as we can this morning because I know that this is a difficult teaching. I know that some of you are going to wrestle against this. I wrestle against this sometimes too. But I think if we can embrace that God is in charge, that finally frees us up to a beautiful response. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Hannah. We thank you for the example that she sets for us. God, we hold on too tight to the things in our life, to the circumstances in our life. We we make other little gods before you. And yet, God, we want to join Hannah in saying, there was no one like you. There's no one holy like you. There's no one great or good like you. There's no one perfect like you. God, we want to join her in embracing that in every circumstance you have a will and you have a plan and a purpose. God, we admit that we are limited and that often we can't even see that plan. We want to be honest enough to say to you that we're often frustrated with what we see as your plan. God, often things don't go the way that we want them to go. And and so, God, in the valley and on the mountain, would you help us 
praise you as God over all. Once again, God, we gather here not because of us, but we gather here because of you. We want to leave here praising your name, the only name worthy of praise. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.